Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the birthplace of America, the cradle of liberty, the city that loves you back. It has an impressive number of nicknames, Philadelphia. And next week, we can add one more, ALA Midwinter Home. Philadelphia is opening its arms to thousands of librarians and library workers January 23rd through 28th for the American Library Association's 2020 Midwinter Meeting. And if you're like me, and your knowledge of Philadelphia's limited glimpse from decades-old Rocky movies, then you definitely need help figuring out what to do, what to see, and what to eat while visiting a city as rich in history and culture as Philadelphia. Luckily, Dewey Decibel is here to help. This week on the Dewey Decibel Podcast, we're getting an inside scoop on what's what in Philly during midwinter. First, I speak with Linda August. She's reference librarian and curator of art and artifacts at the Library Company of Philadelphia, one of the oldest libraries in the United States with an incredible history. Linda tells us about the library and other musty happenings during midwinter. Next, American Library's managing editor Tara Denkowski speaks with Sarah Levitsky from the Reading Terminal Market about navigating the massive market near the Pennsylvania Convention Center to find out the best spots to eat and more. But first, a word from a sponsor. Does your library have books? What about patrons? If so, why don't you give Shelf Care a listen? That's right. Shelf Care, the podcast, is where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and other library-related bookish stuff from your pals at Booklist. Past episodes have covered horror and cookbooks and graphic novels and beach reads, and that's just the beginning. Subscribe to Shelf Care, the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or from whence you are currently listening to our Dewey Decibel friends. That's Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Happy reading! Philadelphia is steeped in history. It lives and it breathes it. And no place in the city best captures and collects that history than the Library Company of Philadelphia, an independent research library concentrating on American society and culture from the 17th to the 19th centuries. That was also co-founded by Mr. Benjamin Franklin himself. I spoke with Linda August, reference librarian and curator of art and artifacts of the library, to learn more about the institution and to get her picks for some of the must-see cultural spots and events happening in Philadelphia during midwinter. Uh, Linda, the library company, um, for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with the library, can you tell them a bit about, give, give us a bit of its history and, um, and what you do because it's, it's a fascinating place. Sure. So the library company was founded in 1731 by Benjamin Franklin and a group of his friends that called themselves the Junto. And so a lot of times when people think about Benjamin Franklin, they think of him as the elder statesman and the renowned scientist. But in 1731, he was only 25 years old, so he was actually uh, a very young man. He was a printer, and he was really trying to establish himself in the world. 
And his group of friends, they also called themselves the Leather Apron Men because they were really working men. They were craftsmen. Um, and so they figured out that if they pooled their resources together, they could have access to more books than they could individually. And so that's what they did. So they founded the library company. They each donated 40 shillings, um, and they bought books together. And so um, we were actually the first Library of Congress. So we were um, close to where Independence Hall is now, and we were the delegates library. So um, delegates were using our books. Um, we were, uh, you know, the capital of the nation until the capital moved to D.C. Uh, we were the largest public library in America until the Civil War. And then in the late 19th century, the public library system is founded in Philadelphia, and we really struggled for a while to try to find our identity. So we changed our mission and became a research library. And so today we have researchers come from all over the world to look at our collections. We've got a fellowship program that funds about 50 fellows a year. We have exhibitions. We have public programming. Um, and so at the library company, what I do is I help the researchers in our reading room, and I also curate our art and artifacts collection. Oh, and what kind of um, items do you have in your collection? From what I understand, you have a, a lot of things that belong to Franklin himself, right? We do. We have a lot of things that belong to Franklin and some of our other founders, like Benjamin Rush. We have his papers. We have over a million items in total, so that includes rare books, broadsides, new pa newspapers and periodicals, manuscripts. So it really documents every aspect of American history and culture through the end of the 19th century, and our strengths are African-American history and women's history and popular medicine and the history of books and printing. We've got a graphics collection that has prints and photographs and maps. Um, I mentioned that I curate the art and artifacts collection, so we've got paintings and sculptures and decorative arts. Um, some of my favorite treasures are we've got an electrical machine that Benjamin Franklin used um, to figure out that static electricity is electricity just like lightning is electricity. We've got William Penn's desk. We've got the oldest painting to represent uh, an American city, um, which is called Southeast Prospect of the City of Philadelphia, which is painted in 1718, um, which gets reproduced quite a lot. So there's a saying that uh, Philadelphia is America's addict. So in 289 years, we've collected a little bit of everything and a lot of bit of some stuff, so... Yeah, we've, we've got tons of stuff. But I think the thing that's most fun for me is a lot of libraries might have the same books that we have, but I think what makes it special is we've had that book since it was published. So, for yeah. example, you know, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, um, many other libraries might have a first edition of that. But we actually bought that in 1855 when it was new, when it was not, you know, the well-known book that we know today. So... We know that we had it on our shelves and that people of Philadelphia could actually check it out and read it. Oh, well. Now, if people, uh, uh, Midwinter attendees or anyone else who might be listening to this who's in Philadelphia, uh, if they want to to check out some of your holdings and your collections, uh, what, what, what do they do? It's open to the public, right? Sure. So we're free and open to the public uh, Monday through Friday. Um, we support anyone who could use our collection for their project or their research, so we try to follow Franklin's motto of being open to everyone, um, and that just is coming in, filling out a registration form, showing a piece of photo ID, 
for our book collection, no appointments are necessary, so you can just walk in. Um, but for our prints and graphics collection, we do ask that people give us advance notice because they've got a separate reading room, um, and it's a little more complicated just because of the nature of the material. Um, but for our exhibitions, we have changing exhibitions. We have an exhibition gallery. People are free to come to that. Um, we've got a exhibition on right now called Ghost River, Rise and Fall of the Conestoga, and that looks at uh, a massacre in 1763 of 20 unarmed Native Americans by a group of white settlers. And what we did was the library company commissioned a graphic novel with a Native American artist and a Native American writer, and we published it through a Native American publishing house. And so the exhibition looks at historical documents of the event, but also new artwork and the Native American point of view and response to that. So it's, it's a very moving show. So if people are in town, um, I think it would be really great for them to stop by and check us out. Oh, absolutely. And um, it's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on here, of course, to talk about the library company, but we also wanted to learn about what what should we do when we're in Philadelphia? <laughs> what um what uh, what are Linda August's picks for you know historical or, or cultural things to do while we're in town? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, welcome to the city of brotherly love. Um, it was also called the Athens of America because we had so many cultural sites. So we were really rich with all kinds of great institutions. So some of my highlights would be the Rosenbach Library Museum which is a historic house museum and research library. So it's actually a, the 19th century townhouse of the Rosenbach brothers who were um, book dealers and art dealers, and they have an amazing collection there. They've got the James Joyce manuscript of Ulysses. They've mm. got Lewis Carroll's letters and photographs. They have all kinds of books on American history. Right now they've got a great exhibition on Herman Melville for his 200th anniversary. So it's a really beautiful space. They've got great exhibitions and collections. I definitely recommend checking that out. Another place that I would recommend is the Muda Museum at College of Physicians, oh, which, yeah. which is a museum of medical history. They've got specimens. They've got things in jars. They've got skeletons. <laughs> got Einstein's brain. Um, but the thing that I, I really like about it is that it preserves that 19th century cabinet museum. So when you mm -hmm. walk in there, you see the original cases. You really see what it would have looked like in the 19th century. Um, and it's really popular, especially with young people. So if you have any young people with you, they really, really enjoy that space. Oh, great. Yeah, if any of our listeners, if you've picked up the new issue of American Libraries, we have a short interview with the librarian um, from the Modi Museum oh, great. Uh, in, our, in our bookend section. So check that out, too. <laughs> Excellent. Um, another thing that I would say is that, of course, everyone should go see the Philadelphia Museum of Art. They've got world-class art, and they've got the famous Rocky Steps. But one thing that people often miss is that they have another building called the Perlman Building, which is across the street. It's a beautiful Art Deco building, and it's actually where their museum's library is located. And there are prints, drawings, and photographs, and also their costumes and textiles are there. They've got exhibition galleries that are really wonderful, and a lot of people skip it. They don't realize that admission gets you into both buildings. Mm. So I highly recommend to uh, not skip that because it's it's really wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful little treasure there. Oh, great. This is 
I, I think I think my schedule is now set for for, <laughs> for midwinter. You're, you're uh, booked. <laughs> yes, um, Linda. Thanks so much for for all these tips and for teaching us uh, a bit about the library company. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you so much, and I'm just so happy to welcome people to Philadelphia. ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, JobList has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, or location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that they want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA JobList. It's where job seekers, employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. Reading Terminal Market, just a short walk from the Pennsylvania Convention Center, is an overwhelming place in all the best ways. One of America's largest and oldest public markets, you can find anything and everything there, from cheesesteaks and bagels to flowers, books, you name it really. It's a popular spot for convention goers looking for a quick meal and more. But where do you start? American Library's managing editor Tara Dankowski spoke with Sarah Levitsky, the market's marketing director, to get the lowdown on the best spots to eat and more. Uh, so, so let me paint a picture for you. We have 10,000 librarians coming to Philly this month. Um, we're going to be in the Pennsylvania Convention Center, which is right across the street from the market. The typical conference attendee might need to get in and out for a quick lunch. Uh, what are some things you might recommend for something they can eat quickly? Um, well, there are 30 different restaurants approximately in the market. Um, some of them have their own seating, but most of them um, encourage their guests to either uh, find a seat in our communal seating area or take it with them. Um, and there really are, uh, there's no shortage of options for you. Um, everything from vegan to a cheesesteak filled with meat. So there's really, there's really no shortage of, of different options. There's, you know, places that have soups um, and salads that are, you know, pretty quick. Um, and uh, all, of our, all of our merchants um, are very popular. So there are sometimes lines, but the lines do move relatively quickly. And um, what's maybe a longer lunch line that's totally worth it or a sit-down restaurant um, that someone might go to if they you know, want to linger a little bit longer? So um, in terms of the, the longest line in the market is probably for um, our most famous sandwich. It's uh, the Denix roast pork sandwich. Um, Denix was uh, awarded by the Travel Channel Best Sandwich in America in 2012. They've been here since 1980s. Philadelphians know them for a very long time. Um, but, uh, but kind of the world discovered them, um, uh, in 2012 and, uh, they, they always have a, a very long line, um, but people consistently say that it is worth it. 
um, and the line moves very fast. It's actually probably the fastest moving line in the market as well. Um, the other one that uh, is almost always a long line, um, but again, it moves really quickly and it's totally worth it is our Jewish deli. Uh, it's called Herschel's and um, they, uh, they make their own corned beef and pastrami uh, right here on premises um, and, and that's pretty rare these days. So uh, people really go for them as well. Um, the other long lines are the cheesesteak lines. <laughs> Cheesesteaks. There are a few places in the market that serves them. Um, what are they, and, and are there some differences between them? Uh, can you explain? <laughs> sure. So um, there are three primary restaurants that serve cheesesteaks. What I mean by that is there are a couple of others that sell funny alternatives to a cheesesteak, like a cheesesteak egg roll or something like that. Um, but, um, but there are che three cheesesteak places in the market. One is called Carmen's, one is called Batero's, and the other one is by George. So um, each of them is a little bit different. They each use uh, bread from different local bakeries. Um, but uh, Carmen's has a vegan cheesesteak, if anybody uh, wants to try that. Um, they also have um, a cheesesteak they invented that they are calling the Franklin that has, in addition to, uh, I guess, cheese Whiz or um, American cheese, it also has cream cheese on it, which apparently gives it a very nice texture. Um, by George, also, in addition to regular cheesesteak, uh, beef cheesecake, beef cheesesteak, um, also sells chicken cheesesteaks. And then Spatero's is um, one of our, uh, although cheesesteaks wasn't on their menu, it's actually one of our older merchants. They've been here for about 70, 75 years. Um, but cheesesteaks are a recent addition to them. And they also sell things like tater tots um, along with their cheesesteaks. So uh, there's some fun options over there. Those all sound so good. Um, so, yeah, uh, there are also a few bakeries. Um, speaking of Philly and Pennsylvania traditions, there are a few bakeries that honor Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. Um, what kind of baked goods should an out-of-towner uh, try? So the market actually has something like six or seven bakeries. Um, there are two that are Amish of those six or seven. So um, they and they're run by the same family. One specializes in donuts, um, and they've been rated the best donuts in Philadelphia. Um, the other is, uh, is the bakery, and that has everything from cinnamon buns to shoe fly pie, which is an Amish specialty, um, which is like molasses, and uh, I don't even remember all that's in it, but it's, it's like a molasses-based um, pie uh, with like a crumb topping on it. Um, and then uh, they've, they have cookies and cakes and pies, um, cupcakes, kind of anything you can think of. Um, but the things that they're really known for are, uh, are their pies and their cinnamon buns, probably. Um, and then um, the other bakeries, we have a bread bakery that also makes um, really amazing sort of French-style pastries. Um, we have... Uh, a bakery that makes um, some real Pennsylvania um, kind of 
signature items like butter cake that's a relatively unknown um, and uh, whoopie pies that are a little more widely known. Um, so there's, and then we have an Italian bakery that makes the best cannolis ever. So, uh, so there's really a, a wide variety of sweet treats. If someone wanted to stop for a beer or a cocktail in the market, uh, where would you send them? So Molly Malloy's is the only bar in the market. You can um, eat, uh, they, they have a full kitchen. It's sort of like a gastropub, so they have a full kitchen. You can eat in the bar, um, and they have a full, um, full accompaniment of hard and beer, hard liquor, beer, wine. Um, they specialize in uh, local beer on tap. There's something like 30-something beers, local beers on tap there, and they're really great. Uh, Philadelphia is really a beer town, um, and, uh, and so um, it's a nice place to stop if you're into trying local beers. Um, you also have the option, if you want to eat from one of our other restaurants, you have the option of getting either beer or wine in a to-go cup. Um, and you can then eat in our center court seating area from any of the other merchants. And now the market also sells, I've been there, it sells groceries, housewares, books, um, gifts. Uh, what, what's the most unusual or an unexpected item um, you've seen there? Well, we've got some pretty unusual things. I mean, we've got everything from um, kind of unusual game meats like camel or ostrich or um, alligator. Um, in the, on the butcher kind of raw side of things. We've also got, um, well, we have a chocolate shop with a sense of humor, and they make a gag gift that's a chocolate-covered onion. Um, so that's pretty unique. That's a, that's a chocolate shop. There are only chocolatier that makes their own chocolate here in the market, um, and that's Mueller's. Um, there are, um, there are if, you're into, if you're into cooking, um, there are uh, about a hundred, more than a hundred spices in our spice store. Some of them are pretty unusual. Um, uh, they really do a nice job of trying to um, carry spices that appeal to all of the different ethnic groups and uh, and just people that like food in Philadelphia. So um, they've got a huge variety, and that store is called the Head Nut. That all sounds so great. Sarah, I can't wait to go back and try everything again now with fresh eyes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. If anybody walking around needs any assistance, um, they should look for our roving ambassadors. We have roving customer service folks, and their jobs are to answer questions about the market. So look for a shirt that says, Ask Me Anything About the Market. That uh, is they'll be happy to help guide you. Awesome. I'm sure librarians would appreciate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to having you all. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Many thanks to Linda and Sarah for speaking with us today. Join us next month as we look at presidential libraries with an interview with Brooke L. Clement, Deputy Director of the Barack Obama Presidential Library. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Reach out, give us some feedback, pitch us some stories. Also, you can reach me at DeweyDecibel at ALA.org. We want to hear from you. Or, better yet, find us in Philadelphia at Midwinter if you can. We'd love to chat. 
As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thank you.